Hello, friends. Uh, this is the message I preached this morning at Redeemer Lutheran Church in Nixon, Missouri. It was titled, Don't Look Back, Keep Pressing On, based on Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 to 14. Essentially, if we want to reach the goal line, we need to learn the same thing, and that's don't look back, keep pressing on. Our text helps us at the level of personal motivation by revealing the heart of our faith. It starts with a humble evaluation. As Paul said, not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect. You know, there's a refreshing honesty about these words. If anyone had reason to brag about his accomplishments, you would think it would be Paul, but he doesn't. Despite having met the Lord on the Damascus Road, despite having preached across the eastern Mediterranean region, despite being an apostle called by God, despite writing letters inspired by the Spirit, despite all that he had endured, he does not brag about anything he has said or done. None of that matters to him. Now, you might ask why. Well, it's because he knows that he's a sinner saved by grace. In fact, in 1 Timothy 1.15, he calls himself the chief of sinners. Despite all that he had done, he makes no claim at being perfect or having arrived in his own spiritual journey. The fact is hard for some people to grasp. I mean, several times lately I've had the chance to share a truth that is both simple and profound. Whenever we face a difficulty in life, we must begin by saying, it is what it is. Now, that's not an easy thing to do. Often we'd rather play games, make excuses, cover up, pretend, ignore the obvious, or live in a fantasy land. But friends, you can't get better until you come to grips with reality. It is what it is. I mean, it's hard to admit that your marriage is in trouble or your career on the rocks or your dreams smashed or your kids are struggling or you're broke or you've got a problem with alcohol or drugs or pornography or a critical spirit or filled with anger. But there's no getting better until you say it is what it is. It's kind of like going to a doctor and discovering that you have cancer. I have a Facebook friend who faced that unwelcome news just a few months back, but because he's relatively young and in pretty good physical condition, the news hit him pretty hard. But he and his wife have really not flinched and are throwing themselves into the chemotherapy with all the strength and hope and faith they have, really carried along by the prayers and the love of so many people. Now, I can't say at this point what the outcome will be, but I applaud both for facing the challenge head on. And so it is with all the trials of life. First, we begin by saying it is what it is, and then by God's grace, we move on from there. And I hope you notice then that Paul plainly says, I have not yet obtained. Another translation says, I do not claim that I have already succeeded, or another, I do not consider myself to have arrived spiritually. And that's always a danger, especially for those who have been Christians for a long time. It's pretty easy to become a professional Christian, that you look down your nose at the struggles of others and say, well, I thank you, Lord, that I'm not like that man. It's easy to become insensitive to sin because you think you're above it. It was Martin Luther who remarked that pride is so deep within us that we must repent of our repentance, by which he meant that even our repenting is tinged with pride. For example, look at me, I'm honest enough to repent of my sins. I, I'm not like you, I don't cover things up. I mean, sin is so much within us that even our confession contains within it the seeds of our next sin. Were it not for grace, none of us could ever stand before the Lord. That was about seven years ago that I wrote the following Facebook status. Uh, it was on January 1st, 2010. I wrote, good thought to start the year. I'm not as strong or as wise as I think I am, but God is stronger and wiser than I can imagine. 
within about an hour, about 87 different people like that status, and that's kind of a lot of likes for me. I think people liked it because it expresses a truth we all know but can't quite bring ourselves to say out loud. In our better moments, we know the truth about ourselves. We're not as smart or as clever or as wise or as good or as strong as we think we are. The only thing that keeps us going is this. Jesus is a wonderful Savior, and he is everything we are not. He is strong and wise and good and holy and righteous and loving and merciful. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and he's all of these things all of the time far more than we can imagine. And then there's the holy aspiration. Paul goes on and says, But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Now pause for a moment over that last little phrase, Christ Jesus took hold of me. The whole Christian life can be found in these those six words. Christ found me. Christ saved me. Christ has a purpose for my life. The supreme purpose of my life is to discover his purpose for me, and that takes a lifetime. It involves hard work and concentration. After all, it does say, I press on. It leads to, our, to progressive growth in grace, and it develops the character of Christ in us. And then there's a hearty determination. Verse 13, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. And no, notice the fierce concentration implicit in those words, one thing I do. Now here's the secret that applies across the board. To excel in any area of life, a person must learn to say, this one thing I do not these 20 things I dabble in. I mean, if you want to be a good artist, one thing you do. A gifted teacher must say, one thing I do. A championship athlete would say, one thing I do. I mean, see, greatness in any arena comes to those who can say with the Apostle Paul, one thing I do. Now, in his case, it meant looking for the heavenly goal of winning the prize. That phrase covers all that God has for us when we finally stand before Jesus and hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of the Lord. Now, sadly, most of us would rather say many things I do, and it would be true because we tend to be kind of a fragmented people. But Paul, who was the consummate man of action, could truthfully say, one thing I do. Perhaps it would be good for each of us to look in the mirror and ask, do you know what you're doing? I mean, we're all good at making lists, and to be honest, I'm pretty good at it myself. In fact, I can make a list as long as my arm and then trick myself into thinking that my list equals my life. Or I can think that if I have a list, then I have a clear purpose, but it's not true. A list without a purpose is, well, it's just a list. It keeps me busy, or at least makes me look like I'm busy, but what good is a list without a larger purpose? So Paul clarifies his purpose with two key phrases. Phrase number one, forgetting what lies behind In Charles Flood's book, Lee, The Last Years, he tells a time about after the Civil War when General Robert E. Lee visited a woman who showed him the remains of a grand old tree in the front of her home. And there she cried bitterly that its limbs and trunks had been destroyed by Union artillery, and then she waited for Lee to condemn the North or at least sympathize with her. And Lee paused and finally said, cut it down and forget it. Friends, what kinds of things should we cut down and forget? How about our worries, our fears, our failures, our victories, our defeats, the attacks of enemies, the praise of our friends? We need to lay aside even the accomplishments of the past year, our claim to fame, our name and lights, the good things that we think we've done, the stuff we do to make the world glad we got out of bed in the morning, all the things we brag about, all the medals, the honors, and the awards. 
I coach for a long time, and I know what it is to say last year means nothing. I mean, if we lost, it means nothing. If we won the championship, it means nothing. I mean, whatever happens in 2017, you got to let it go. I ran across a writer who said that we need holy amnesia about our victories and our defeats. And that strikes me as entirely biblical. As long as we're looking back, we can't move forward. The second phrase is this, pressing on to what lies ahead. When missionary Dr. David Livingston returned from Africa, he was asked, Where are you ready to go next? I'm ready to go anywhere, he said, provided it be forward. Friends, this ought to be the attitude of every child of God every single day. Lord, I'm ready to go wherever you lead, no matter where that takes me. Now, some of us may make our list and say, Lord, if you don't mind, I'm busy today, so could you just initial this at the bottom and I won't bother you anymore? But that's not how it works. You know, when people ask me about learning the secret of God's will, I tell them that it begins in the morning when you say, Lord, let me take the next step with you today. While I was preparing this message, I was watching a football game in which a key player near the end of the game involved a runner stretching out for the goal line. And as the opposing team gang tackled him, he stretched the ball out as far as he could. The question was, did the ball, in fact, break the plane of the goal line before he fell to the ground? At first, it was kind of hard to tell in that pile of players. But one replay showed that just barely, by a matter of inches, he had pushed the ball across the goal line. That's the sort of effort that wins in football and in the Christian life. Finally, there's a heavenly inclination. In verse 14, it says, I press on to the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. In the spiritual life, direction makes all the difference. True believers aren't in heaven yet, but they aim their steps in that direction. In Paul's case, that involved both the sanctified forgetting and the resolute pushing forward. Back in 1905, a young man from a wealthy family entered Yale University. His family intended that after completing his degree, he would enter a suitable career in America, like a lawyer or a doctor. But God gripped his heart with the needs of China, and he volunteered to go to that country with the gospel, much to the dismay of his family and friends. He left America, but he never made it to China, dying before reaching that distant shore. After his death, a note was found in his Bible that summarized his life. No reserves, no retreats, no regrets. I wonder how many of us could say the same thing. Paul said, I haven't arrived yet, but I'm still pressing on. And if he were here today, he'd say the same to you. Don't look back. Keep pressing on. You see, friends, it's not good enough to start well. You, almost mu- you, almost mu- you also must end well. Someone has commented that the chief problem of the church is that we have too many amateur Christians. I think that what he meant was that we have too many who just dabble at their faith. They're kind of like the man who jumped on his horse and rode furiously in all directions. Now let me pose just three questions for you just to consider. Question number one, what is the goal of your life? Two, why do you get up in the morning? And three, why are you still here? Now, no one can say with certainty what the new year will bring or if we will even be here 12 months from now. But that thought should not alarm us in any way. I mean, to all our worries, the Lord simply says, fear not. Will things get worse? Fear not. Will I lose my job or get cancer or lose my health? Fear not. Will tragedy strike? Will my children disappoint me? Will others ridicule my faith? Fear not. Will my cherished plans come to nothing? Will my dreams turn to ashes? Will I face death this year? 
fear not. Friends, we of all people ought to be optimistic as we face whatever the future holds. We have a great future because we have a great God. As my grandma used to say, stop staring in the soup. Pull those shoulders back, put a smile on your face, take your troubles, wrap them up, and give them all to the Lord. When we look at the world today, there are certainly reasons for all of us to be concerned. But is it any worse for us than it was for the Apostle Paul in the first century? I mean, he was living under a pagan emperor whose values were far from Christian. Paul nevertheless found many reasons to press on for Jesus. And so we launch out with great faith in all we do. We have all our, we all have our share of hard times. But overriding it all is the promise of God who said, I will never leave you or forsake you. So lift up your head. Be of good cheer. The Lord is with you. Fear not. Keep pressing on. Until next time, see the vision, live the mission, feel the passion.